I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberland. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks again for joining us. How have you been? I've been very well, thank you, Mike. Mary, how are you? Good, busy as we enter into this Advent season, just so aware that it's a good time to slow down and be prayerful, but there's also a million things to do, so <laughs> living that tension. How about yourself, Archbishop? Have you had a, a, a fairly busy Advent, or has it been nice and slow for you? How, how, have you? how have you been doing this Advent specifically? I would say it's been busy. Uh, there are lots of people have lots of things that uh, we need to be about to be ready for Christmas, so that's uh, very much a part of Advent itself. Uh, one of the high points of the month has been my own celebration of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception at the seminary. Mm -hmm. um, for years now, it's been the custom not only for the Archbishop to celebrate uh, uh, the Solemn Mass at the uh, community for the community on that day, but also to give a, a conference, and uh, that was a great joy for me. I felt like. Uh, uh, called back into service, reminded mm. me of being a rector. I enjoyed it yeah. very much. And they even laughed oh, at awesome. some of my witticisms. So, uh, oh, that's, that's very nice of them. <laughs> so was it just the seminarians that were there, or was it like seminarians and staff that you were uh, speaking with and spending time with? Uh, in the conference, it was mostly yeah. this, a few faculty members, but really the seminarians. And I talked, uh, talked on the virtue of hope, uh, the, as ex exemplified in the Blessed Virgin and how hope needs to be uh, at the very heart of uh, what we do as priests. Hmm. <laughs> That's beautiful. Was that a topic, the Archbishop, that you were kind of handed a topic, or do you, do you actually kind of just prayerfully decide that that's the topic you wanted to, to cover? Well, um, I tried to have a topic that uh, very much in, in, engages the f figure of the Blessed Virgin Mary, hmm. and I thought about hope because uh, uh, we had... Uh, Really, there are so many disappointments that we face in life. We're going to talk oh. one about one later today, I think, uh, the disappointment yeah. <laughs> of the approval of Proposition 3. So sure. uh, we need to, we need to uh, let the Holy Spirit nurture our hope. A prayer of mine uh, during this season, kind of praying with this idea of hope, is that call that you echo all the time to be joyful missionary disciples is so entwined with living as people of hope, like they're married together, right? And so to live truly in joy, uh, reconciling living as people of hope is so important, right? And so that's what I keep praying with when it comes to that particular virtue. Well, you know, Mary, you're, you're in tune with uh, the Holy Father because his letter on uh, evangelization is called uh, Evangelii Gaudium, the joy mm -hmm. of the gospel. and. Uh, mm. It's by being joyful missionary disciples that we're effective missionary disciples. Right. Mm. right not right. crabby. Crabby missionary yes. disciples are not effective. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but being able to like see with a lens of hope, right, that theological virtue, I think for me in my own life, it remedies the crabbiness that I sometimes experience when I feel called or when I feel pulled to despair, right? So to remember the promises of God through the virtue of hope is, is so essential. So to mm. keep my crabbies away. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the ways, uh, Archbishop, that you have seen Catholic families celebrate Advent or that you encourage Catholic families to do in order to celebrate Advent? 
Well, I think, uh, I mean, we, the usual uh, family rituals are very, very effective. Uh, a home advent wreath, uh, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes uh, an advent calendar where little children get to open a window yeah. uh, in a countdown to Christmas. Yeah. I think a couple of things are very effective is uh, home blessings for the elements of Christ Christmas decorations. Mm. Bless the Christmas tree, uh, bless the Christmas crib. There's a wonderful custom in Rome uh, for uh, the, the children to bring uh, the baby Jesus from the nativity sets at home and the Holy Father blesses them. I think huh. uh, that's a really beautiful custom. Yeah. And I think the rosary is a, is a decade of the rosary, especially uh, one of the, uh, the nativity, the uh, annunciation, the visitation or the nativity uh, mm -hmm. celebrated with the family would be a really fine uh, home, uh, domestic church way to uh, keep Advent. Yeah, absolutely, hmm. absolutely. One of the things that we started doing in our house probably seven or eight years ago is um, hanging Jesse tree ornaments. So I have a small Christmas tree and then there's, uh, we just do 25 ornaments kind of recounting salvation history leading up into Christmas day. And it's funny cause it's such a simple, I bought it when my children were very young. Uh, my sister made it for me and I bought the tree, but uh, we still kind of just reflect simply, right? So like start with creation and then we have a little ornament with God creating the world and they get to hang that. Uh, but it's neat as my children get older to kind of understand a different level of depth not just the pictures right and so recounting our salvation history has been really fantastic uh, oh. as we enter into this season mikey do you guys do anything at your home for advent not too much specific no i mean obviously no, nothing that's a crazy outside of our normal rhythm other than sure. i think just this time of year lens that uh kelly and myself we we tend to just turn off the tv just naturally because yeah. we want to maybe just kind of bask in the Christmas glow of lights and stuff yeah. like that in our home yeah. and stuff. And yeah. so that, that actually does kind of help you just kind of quiet down a bit and slow down a little bit as well. So I find that I, I, I like that in this time or season, uh, just yeah. that small little thing. That sounds a little counter-cultural, Mike, to slow down in the days right. before Christmas, because yes. from what I hear, uh, people feel accelerated and uh, distracted. Yeah. So no, that's a blessing right. that you have. It, it is, and I and I really do try. I I really I, weirdly enough, my I feel like my work does kind of start to slow a little bit. I, I kind of, even though I'm at the parish, there's kind of an element where uh, in the fall I'm I'm very very busy, kind of like a teacher would be. But it does start to slow a little bit. Or you get at least into your rhythms enough mm -hmm. where you can kind of slow a little bit. And um, yeah, it, it's that's actually one of my favorite things about this kind of window of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is I actually slow down a little bit, and that's really. It's really awesome. It's a nice tip too, like a real simple tip, just to turn off the TV, even if it's just mm. one night a week, and just to sit in your family. That in in itself, right, slows our minds and hearts and souls a little bit. So it does, yeah. Good tip for our listeners. Archbishop, um, earlier this month, you attended the sixth annual awards breakfast for the Catholic Foundation of Michigan, which has awarded 183,000 in grants in support of 34 projects that are unleashing the gospel throughout Michigan. What is the Catholic Foundation of Michigan and how does it work? Well, it's a lay initiative. Uh, two uh, lay leaders in the archdiocese, uh, from their experience in other areas, saw the need for uh, a foundation 
that lay people could uh, be uh, take leadership in and manage to get together resources that would then uh, in a number of different ways that a foundation can work and they work uh, to provide resources for works uh, uh, of the evangelization here in the archdiocese and uh, even outside the archdiocese so it uh, it's like a, a community foundation but with a special uh, focus on the works of the church i bet it was uh, an uplifting uh morning to be able to uh, see all the good work in one space like so much good work in one space as the it, grants are being awarded it really was a blessing one that i thought was particularly uh, moving was a, a grant to uh, a little plug here mary D divine <laughs> child yeah. uh, to for a program for uh, children with special needs so that yeah. uh, Divine Child School would be able to accommodate children with special needs. And I thought this was a, an excellent uh, uh, support. And it came as an initiative uh, from some lay people who saw a need and decided to try and fill it. Yeah, uh, it's so good watching the kind of genesis of uh, that grant applying for it and things like that uh one of the markers and unleash the gospel when talking about catholic schools right and i'm not going to say this correctly but to be inclusive right of people with all different learning uh levels and abilities and i'm really proud to work in an institution at a school that's really striving to do that to provide catholic education to all students even students that have uh, unique challenges to learning so um, we're super appreciative of the catholic foundation of michigan for making that helping to make that happen along with you know marrying good staff members to that project as well it's a really cool thing to watch well and i think uh, this is very much part of what the synod called for uh, that uh, people pay attention to the impulses yep. of the Holy Spirit and take initiative. Uh, the, the foundation provides a, a forum for people to take initiative and that's a blessing. Yeah. yeah. Well, this month uh, we are gonna revisit our commitment to building a culture of life and looking what, at what it means to be pro-life in the wake of Roe versus Wade being struck down Proposal 3 passing in Michigan, and the Reproductive Health Care Act being signed into law. Uh, lots here to discuss today. We've had a, a couple different discussions on this topic, but I'm excited to, to dig in in a new way with a new lens, uh, given those three realities that have happened within, uh, within our country, within our state. So to begin with, I thought it would be good to review uh, why does the church oppose abortion? And what do we mean when we say that we're committed to building a culture of life? Well, we, uh, the church opposes abortion because it's a terrible evil. And uh, Christ came to deliver us from evil. And the church needs to, all of us need to uh, support the good, and struggle against evil. Abortion is evil because it takes an innocent life. Mm. And uh, life is a gift from God. And uh, every person deserves to have her or his dignity preserved. Uh, these are uh, an abortion is an, a terrible act of injustice against another human being, and we uh, we witness to God's plan by opposing abortion. And what do we mean by a culture of life? We mean trying to build uh, a society in which uh, 
abortion is one of the kinds of acts that uh, we realize goes against uh, our very uh, identity of who we are as a people. I mean, a culture of life is opposed to a culture that looks upon people as commodities uh, that can be kind of uh, uh, dealt with by technology. Mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, the culture of mm -hmm. life is opposed to uh, a culture of instrumentalization where people mm -hmm. become one more tool for other people's satisfaction. Nobody mm. should be a means for another person. You know, one of the things that the church talks about, uh, both leaders in the church and in her documents, is kind of a consistency of life ethic in every stage. Could you help open that up a little bit and how it begins with protecting the most vulnerable, the unborn? Well, it begins with the very, uh, I mean, the foundation upon all of it, that all of this is based upon is our sense of the dignity of the human person. And mm. uh, that dignity needs, deserves to be respected from the first moment of conception uh, until natural death. And at all stages in between. I mean, we're, if you talk about somebody who's uh, irreparably, uh, who, who's paralyzed for life, that life needs to be protected and defended as well. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, Pope Francis says, uh, there are no throwaway people. Mm. Uh, nobody, nobody should be discarded, and that—that's what how we need to be consistent in our defense of life, innocent right. life. Archbishop, just for some context and, and where we're hoping to go with this episode as well, I know last time we talked about abortion in depth uh, was our May 2022 and September 2022 episodes. Um, you know, that was obviously recording at a time when Roe versus Wade was struck down and Proposal 3 was uh, just passed in Michigan. Can you kind of refresh our memories a little bit about what happened then and then also talk about what's happened since? And again, this is just kind of framing, I think, where we hope to further go in our conversation uh, today. Well, it June 2022, uh, the Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision overturned uh, Roe versus Wade and overturned uh, a whole set of uh, uh, precedents basically saying that there is no uh, right to abortion found in the Constitution. And that's uh, what opened uh, the prospect of uh, individual states dealing with this issue. Uh, according to uh, the, uh, the judgment of those who have authority. In 20 states, more than 20 states, as I understand it, uh, there's been a move to ban or restrict abortions. Other states, like our own Michigan, uh, have expanded abortion access. Uh, that's what Proposal 3 did in the referendum on, uh, in November of 2022. Mm. And so it put a, an unlimited, unregulated right to, uh, so-called right to abortion in the state constitution. And uh, in that light, a lot of the laws that had been passed that were pro-life laws that were meant to try to protect the life of the unborn uh, were nullified. Uh the memory of uh, Proposal 3 and everything that happened in the month of November last year uh, still causes me some actual emotional pain. It was really hard 
to see um, that proposal pass. And I remember waking up the next day just really feeling quite defeated by um, the decision of my peers in that vote and my neighbors and, uh, you know, uh, such radical legislation um, in our state. It felt, as you talked about hope, right, for a moment, it felt almost a little hopeless knowing that uh, so many people voted uh, in favor of Proposal 3. So I'd like to ask you, Archbishop, what advice would you have for me and for our listeners who um, might be feeling discouraged at what has happened since Roe fell, like from a real high of seeing that change that so many people had worked for so long to see Roe versus Wade overturn to the this real low point in, in the decisions that we've made in a particular way in the state of Michigan? I think a place to begin, Mary, is to be honest with Christ and to uh, bring our lament to him, mm. to tell him how bitter, bitterly we feel about, uh, about this, mm. and then to then be renewed in our confidence that he's still the Lord, he's still the victor, mm. and he, he is powerful enough to bring not just a reversal of this evil, but mm. there is a way in his plan, his mysterious plan, that this evil can be turned to good. He has a way to transform it. And we have to, we have to give up being optimistic and we mm. have to be hopeful. I would say those are different things. They're not, they're not completely un, uh, unlike, but they're mm -hmm. very different in that sense that hope is, is based on uh, a, a trust in the omnipotence of God and his, uh, his unconditional love and his power to do, to, to do good and his readiness uh, to, to save us from evil. I, mm. I don't know any other way. And, and it, it's the history of salvation to right. see how, right. uh, well, ultimately, it's the paradigm of, of uh, Calvary and mm. Easter Sunday that mm. this most uh, despicable kind of act, the very attempt to murder God, well, they did murder the Son of God, Right. But uh, this attempt to destroy life became the way for the life to have a victory. Mm -hmm. And this pattern will is, is in the course of repeating itself. Uh, I don't always see how it's repeating itself, but it is repeating itself. It's a really deep thought, actually. I mean, I've never really thought about it in that regard, Archbishop. <laughs> Just the fact that it... Right I would say I thought about for Christ having done that, of course, but I never really thought about the fact that it's really revolving and repeating in that way. So that's really that's really great. I know, I know, obviously, some of our listeners might have really been majorly um, affected by abortion, maybe even themselves having had an abortion. Uh, do you have any specific message for some of our listeners who fall into that category, Archbishop, some, some aspect uh, to, to share with them? Well, as you say, Mike, uh, the statistics indicate that uh, there's every good chance that uh, one quarter of the faithful themselves have been touched by abortion. And so, yes, it's very important to uh, proclaim to everybody and, and give witness to everybody that uh, just as in the larger sense, the evil of abortion will be transformed, uh, the, the tragedy of, what, of abortion that may have occurred in a person's life will be transformed and can be transformed by the love of Christ, that nobody has, 
it's impossible to do anything that ex puts one beyond the boundaries of the enfolding love of Christ. And not only is there forgiveness, but in each life again, in each person's own history, what was uh, a tragedy will be transformed into a victory if we put it into God's hands. Mm -hmm. This is what I think is the, the, good the great message of uh, ministries like Project Racial, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, one particular approach uh, to, uh, for uh, people post-abortion to come into God's mercy and God's light. And, and, to, and in the healing, God is glorified. And this knowledge, right, that there is nothing that uh, is beyond the ability for God to touch and heal. Because I think sometimes that does stop women from seeking healing, something as truly horrible as abortion from a maternal perspective. Oftentimes, I think women get frozen in the in the wound of that, but our Lord's just so desperate, right, to pour His grace and mercy on on that wound. Yes, Mary, de desperate. I mean, He knew that this is what that this forgiveness would be the fruit of His taking up the cross, mm -hmm. and so He willingly accepted it. it. He thought that being able to offer this forgiveness. Uh, was worth uh, every drop of his blood, and we ought never to undervalue the forgiveness he offers, the healing he offers, because that would be to undervalue uh, his self-gift. Yeah, I was just going to say the cross, yeah. Um, for those of us that, that feel so passionate about the pro-life cause, particularly when we look at the most vulnerable. Where should our focus be now as pro-life advocates? Where do we go from here? Um, with the excitement, again, that kind of juxtaposition of Roe versus Wade falling or, or being overturned and then followed by so many heavy setbacks at a state level. How can we continue to be the, that joyful missionary carrier of the gospel of life? Right. I, t I tend to think of this in uh, two categories. One is uh, in the, the public arena and the, the political arena, uh, we need to stay present. Uh, uh, we're still here. We're not going away. This was uh, one of the, uh, the messages of the, the Walk for Life, the March for Life at the Capitol uh, last mm -hmm. month. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't given up on, on the gospel of life, and we're going to stay faithful to it. And there are uh, protections for the sanctity of life that we can continue to advocate for. Uh, we, we'll do whatever we can as we continue to work toward the day when uh, the right to life is recognized in, in our laws. So that's one side of it. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is uh, to create a, a culture of life by offering support to uh, uh, women and their families. It's not just about the mother, the expectant mother, but women and, and her their families who are experiencing uh, crisis moments at pregnancy and wondering what to do and how to be able to carry the baby to term. And this is where we have the U.S. Bishop's uh, initiative called Walking with Moms in Need, which isn't, I mean, it's about two things, walking with moms in need. It's about increasing resources 
for women who are in uh, having a crisis at the time of pregnancy, but it's also about making sure that uh, at the local grassroots level, indeed, we, we want, we're hoping to have every parish be able to be a place that at least knows what resources are available. Mm -hmm. So that the idea would be that women would know that they could go into any of our rectories, any of mm. our parish offices, and ask, where can I go for help? And there's somebody there who would be able to give them direction and put them on a path to receive uh, assistance. And not just uh, uh, temporary assistance, but these resources are, we're trying to enrich them to include things after the birth of the child and uh, the kinds of uh, support that help the mother uh, move successfully in, into her service as, as a mother, mm. kind of a rich range of, of help. You know, it's, I think, too, being really engaged in that work in my own personal life has been a remedy to some of the helplessness that I felt um, in, the, in the wake of uh, Proposal 3. So, uh, you know, turning resources and energy and focus within our own family and then within our sphere of influence towards donating and being active with places like Mary's Mantle or the Lennon Center. Those are just two local places that I know work and walk hand in hand with women. That did give me a sense of restoration for some of the, the hopelessness that I was feeling or the despair that I was feeling that we still have this ability to work within our sphere of influences to meet women in a way that uh, helps them and brings them closer to healing and closer, uh, more free to say yes to their unborn lives, right? So uh, right. the unborn lives of their children. To proclaim the gospel of life one life at a time is very yeah. powerful. Mm. Gives God great glory, and it's a, it's a very powerful witness. Archbishop, you shared some some really great things about uh, walking with walking with moms in need and and some of the parish level of that initiative and everything. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions just for for individuals? You know, like just the the maybe the pew Catholic who's listening right now, um, who themselves, as Mary said, is maybe feeling a little frustrated by everything that's happened the past couple of years. Do you have any additional thoughts for how they could kind of get plugged in or uh, get off the bench, so to speak, off uh, and, and get in more involved? Well. Um... I think uh, an easy way to uh, find out how to uh, become more involved would be to go to the uh, website of the Archdiocese of Detroit and uh, look for Walkings with Moms in Need, uh, aod.org uh, forward slash pro-life. Uh, people would be able to find uh, uh, ideas or, or leads about how they might be uh, able to make their own particular contribution. Uh, whether it's time, talent, or treasure. It's kind of a really neat thing to be talking about this topic of life and about the most vulnerable, the unborn, uh, as we, we sit here recording this just before Christmas. And so as we, as we enter into that celebration of the Christmas season, what inspiration would you encourage us to draw from the Holy Family uh, when it comes to being ambassadors of a culture of life? Well, I'd start with uh, the very uh, will of God to send his son in the flesh. That uh, it's, this is God's own ratification of the very worth of human life. Uh, 
human life has, must have a great dignity if God thought it was worth his uh, sending his son as, uh, as a human being. And then, of course, uh, all of the, uh, the agents in the, in the Holy Family, you think of uh, the Blessed Virgin herself in some ways was a mother in need, uh, a, a pregnancy that was not what she had expected. And she needed help uh, when it came time for her to give birth. So she certainly understands uh, a lot of the dimensions of a crisis pregnancy. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think she's an example also of uh, finding God's plan and, and his uh, scheme in, in the way life unfolds for us. Uh, Joseph is a great model for providing care as well. His own, I mean, Mary and Joseph uh, lived their lives in uh, continent, as continent uh, without uh, uh, marital relations, but they were very, they were very much uh, husband and wife, married, mm -hmm. and offered mutual support to one another. And of course, uh, Christ himself uh, in the incarnation, as I said, shows the very dignity of, of the human person. The, uh, the vulnerability of Christ's birth is another thing during this Advent uh, season that I've been sitting with that, you know, God chose this path to, for some reason, what's hitting me is the fact that Jesus, that God was a newborn, right? So baby Jesus is one image that we all have, but newborns, uh, I've had the experience of, of having five newborns uh, in my hands right after birth. And just that they're so tiny and they're so vulnerable and they're little fingers and they're, they're fast heartbeats. And knowing that our God chose to uh, enter the earth that way, right, does show us this, this importance, I think, of of looking at that vulnerability and then our responsibility to meet that vulnerability with uh, resources and love and protection, right? Very well said, Mary, better than I put it. You did a great, <laughs> thank you. It's just been hitting me. I don't know why I just had never, obviously I'd thought of baby Jesus before, but this meditation of how vulnerable that was uh, of, of like the omnipotent God, right? And so. The powerfulness of the powerless God. Right. It's 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 really I mean it's it's a lifetime of meditation right so um, but really good in the context I think of this conversation in terms of yes. protecting the unborn and meeting the most vulnerable that's how God chose to you know arrive so it's a good meditation for us all I think yes and it 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 shows us he shows us that uh, powerlessness uh, when delivered into his love becomes powerful. Mm, and yes. so we don't yeah. have to fear powerlessness. Right. Uh, we don't have huh. to grasp huh. at what seems to make us powerful. Yeah, that's good. Though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Mm. Rather, he mm -hmm. emptied himself and took on the nature of a slave, humbling mm. himself even to death, death upon the cross. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Mm -hmm. And that's good news because most everybody's weak from at some time in their lives. Beautiful. 
Archbishop, I, I wanted to ask if there's anything else specific you wanted to maybe add to this topic as far as any other reflections that you have on your own, uh, given the trajectory of everything that's kind of happened the last couple of years uh, with this pro-life issue and knowing the work that's happening with Moms in Need and um, just what's happening here locally in the Archdiocese, that we're, the way that we're supporting and, and serving and helping young mothers in need as well. I don't know if there's this, any other reflections or anything else you wanted to add to this topic. I think simply to publicly give God thanks for what I see as the fidelity of so many of the faithful uh, in holding to the gospel of life, not uh, giving up, and having confidence, uh, having a confidence based on hope in, in the power of, of the cross. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very edified. I often think of myself as uh, uh, measured or, or uh, I'm accountable to be sure that I don't discourage uh, these courageous hearts. And I'm, mm. I'm very grateful for what God is doing. Awesome. Well, we are now at the third block of our podcast, and that is where we have an opportunity to look at some listener questions. Uh, our listener questions are taken from students at Catholic schools throughout the Archdiocese of Detroit. So is it okay with you, Archbishop, if we ask you a couple questions? Sure. Fantastic. Our first question comes from Will in 10th grade. Will asks, what is the most challenging thing an Archbishop will face in his ministry? Well, um, I think <laughs> trying to deal, uh, to, to ad advance the kingdom of God, uh, to deal with challenges where resources seem so limited, that's always a, a, a challenge, I think, for mm -hmm. any of us in, in leadership. And to have peace that uh, if I, whatever the, the resources are that I have to hand, must be enough or God would give me more. So uh, facing that challenge is always a call to a deeper kind of faith. Mm. Limited resources, I think, is one thing that's very challenging. Yeah. Resources that are uh, much smaller than what I think would be, uh, would solve the issue, the problem. Well, Archbishop, uh, this is a question who, uh, from Marion, who is in currently in high school, and she asks, uh, what are some of your favorite non-religious hobbies? I have to confess to Marion that I don't have any. <laughs> I, I am... No I, hobbies I, at all. I am boring. <laughs> I, you I like know to read, I, right? Reading, yes? I do. I like to read. Okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. I like <laughs> literature. I enjoy reading. Uh -huh. Okay. Reading. Maybe, does that count, Mary? I think, I think so. that counts as a hobby. Reading, yeah, we'll let that pass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when people say hobbies, I think of stamp collecting or sure. making uh, yeah. furniture. Right. Or, uh, right, right. I'd imagine that your life does not leave a lot of extra time to indulge in hobbies like making furniture and things like that. Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm also not very good at that sort of thing. <laughs> No, I think reading definitely counts in my opinion. As yeah. long as you're reading occasionally something that's maybe not religious. Oh, sure. Her, her question, okay, you know. Good. So, yeah, yeah. I just uh, got a wonderful gift for Christmas from one of the priests, a book by P.G. Woodhouse, who is certainly not a, a theological tome. It's a hmm. very interesting, very humorous stories about uh, 
uh, life in England uh, before the Second World War. I enjoy oh, those awesome. stories very much. Sounds oh. interesting. Okay, our final question comes from Patrick, and uh, I'm a little curious about this process as well. Patrick would like to ask you, how do bishops become cardinals? A man uh, becomes a cardinal by being named that by the Holy Father, and it's because uh, the cardinals constitute uh, a kind of senate to assist the Holy Father in his responsibilities of, as the universal pastor of the church. And there are two uh, basic sets of cardinals, active cardinals. One, those who lead uh, departments of the, of the Roman Curia. You might call them uh, part of, the, they're the leaders, the cabinet leaders of the Pope's uh, uh, offices. Uh -huh. uh, those cardinals, the Curia cardinals. And then there are cardinals who reside as bishops in their own diocese who also are involved in advising the Holy Father about the life of the church from time to time. They're not mm. in the Vatican day in and day out, but they, uh, they, they are engaged in advising the Holy Father. And uh, it's his choice about people, he want, men he thinks, uh, bishops who will bring to this work uh, the light that he needs uh, to hear in order to uh, steer the, the bark of Peter. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna ask you a follow-up question on that. Do you have to be a bishop to become a cardinal? No, you don't. Yeah, uh, I thought that there was a nuance that you didn't, right? Do you have to be there a priest? Are, uh, yes, right now. Okay. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I mean, there were, in times not too long ago, uh, there were deacons who were made cardinal. Huh. Huh. You had to be a cleric. Now you right. be a priest, and uh, there are some men who, who are priests who are named a cardinal and put into a position where they have to be made a bishop. Oh, okay. Uh, there are other men who are really honored, given the, the title cardinal is a kind of an honor for perhaps what they've accomplished for the service of the church. Huh. Uh, Perhaps a, a man, a priest who was a great confessor, thrown in prison, lived a, a life of fidelity, or perhaps he was a great theologian and the, at the end of his life, the Holy Father names him a cardinal as a kind of honorific. Huh. And typically they are supposed to be ordained bishops, but okay. they can ask the Holy Father to be dispensed from that. And so there have been a in the last few years, some priest named Cardinal who uh, did not take Episcopal ordination. Interesting. Huh. Very good. Well, Archbishop, thanks so much for all of your, your thoughts and reflections today. Really appreciate that. And yeah, before, lots of good uh, wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. Always. Uh, before we ask for your final prayer and blessing, I wanted to, of course, ask if there's anything specific that we can keep in mind for you and pray for you, any special intentions that you might have uh, within this next month. Well, uh, let's... Uh, Let's go back to the pro-life movement. I mean, we're in January. We uh, we do still continue to recall the Roe versus Wade decision, and uh, while that's been overturned, the right to life has not been vindicated the way we know it ought to be. So we should continue to pray for the victory of uh, of uh, the pro-life movement. And uh, I think pray for walking with moms in need mm. for that effort to, uh, to flourish. 
And a good, uh, good way to offer that intercession is to go to Our Lady of Guadalupe, hmm. who is a great patroness of the pro-life movement. <laughs> Would you mind closing us with a, with a prayer and blessing as well? I do not mind. Lord God, we, we turn to you in all of our needs. We are not ashamed to acknowledge our powerlessness because, like as Paul says, when we're weak, then we're strong. And we are, want nothing else than to be strong with your strength. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also enjoy Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.